Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely, very, very kind-hearted woman who has been through some really shocking trauma in her past. And I've wanted to invite her on. Her name is September Burton. And she's got a very profound story to share, which I think some of you will be able to relate to and hopefully gain a lot of insights and wisdoms around how to heal after domestic violence. So welcome to you, September. Hi, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, September, I think it would be appropriate, probably on the back of the headline being Healing After Domestic Violence, to give us a little bit of insight around you and your personal story, if you're happy to share it. So my story is um, pretty intense domestic violence. Not It was more emotional and psychological abuse. There was some physical abuse, but um, it was it was somebody who at the end of the relationship decided to start recording me all day every day for a seven month period. Um, and then you know I tried to get a protective order because he started stalking and coming into the home covertly and hacking into the home security system and doing all kinds of crazy things like that. So I, I sought a protective order and what was interesting to me about um, the recordings was I, I didn't know that they were a thing yet. Um, he did it for emotional blackmail, essentially, to keep me, you know, in my place and be able to keep control over me and things like that. Um, and so he he's really, really good. He's very, very sneaky and very, very covert. And so he did this. Um, and then when we were in the protective order hearing, he was talking about how he had recorded me all day, every day for seven months. And like his chest was actually puffed out as he was saying this. He was so proud of himself. And and I just thought, how, you know, how can anybody look at this situation and not think that, that there's something off with a person who would record somebody else in their home um, for a seven month period? And uh, but he's an attorney. And so he knew exactly what the judge wanted to hear. And so he made up some creative, fun stories and um, got out of everything. And so I'm actually still living in hiding at this point. I haven't been able to go back safely to my home. So um, I left where we were and I just kind of left in the middle of the night kind of thing, left absolutely everything behind, got on an airplane, um, went to Hawaii, called the women's shelter as soon as I got there and stayed in the women's shelter for a couple of months. And then um, uh, he found me there. And so I actually left Hawaii, went to Jamaica for a little while, spent a few weeks in Jamaica. And that was a big part of my healing journey. And that's kind of what I think is the cool part of the story. Like, yeah, there's the abuse and there's all of this craziness that happened. And yes, I'm still living in hiding, but it's the healing journey that, you know, living in the women's shelter, um, that was a beautiful, beautiful experience for me because I got to 
experience what what happens when women heal together. And there's this magical, amazing bond that happens between women when they're healing together. And so, you know, being in the shelter with these other women who just experienced some traumatic events as well was incredibly powerful. Um, and then, like I said, I went to Jamaica and I think that going to Jamaica, I didn't know why I was there. And um, I, t I stayed in an Airbnb when I got there. And I told the guy who owned the place the night that I got there, I said, I don't actually know why I'm here right now. Well, come to find out he was um, in his day, he was a very famous poet. And, uh, and so I have become a poet, actually. And I've started writing and I've gotten very, very into reading poetry. And um, now I've even started writing my own poetry, which is a huge part of my healing journey. Um, so, so I guess that's the, that's the beauty of it is learning more about me so that I never get myself into another situation like this. Um, How long were you actually together in total? Were you actually living together or, or separately whilst you were in this relationship? You know, what was the circumstances of it? Yeah, so we were together for about five years. Um, we actually have three children together. We have one, we have three daughters, um, a set of twins in there, two-year-old twins. So yeah, it was basically a marital relationship. Right, okay. So did the children go with you or did, what happened regarding your, you know, your, your kids in this situation? No, I'm from the States and um, in the States, if there's anything in the, um, in the court system regarding custody over the children, then if either parent takes them over state lines, it's considered kidnapping. And so if I had brought them with me, you know, I would be in prison right now for kidnapping. So where are you, your children? Are they with him or his family or your family? What happened there? They're with him. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK or anywhere else in the world, really. But I know that in the States, there's a huge problem in the family court system. And there was there was a lot of cheating. There was a lot of lying. There was a lot of favoritism. There was a lot of a lot of corruption going on. And so I ended up losing custody of those kids. Um, so at this point, I don't have custody of my children. Oh, bless um, you. Yeah. So which is, how old are they now? The twins are two, and then my other baby girl is, she's about to turn four. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, because I know how devastating that can be, you know, to lose access to your children. That's really, really hard and really tough. So, yeah, um, yeah my, my heartfelt sympathy around that situation. So when, when he was recording you, at what point did you become aware? Were you ever aware, or did it come apparent, you know, or literally on the, in the court that, he was bragging, more or less bragging about it. Yeah, it was in the courtroom when I found out. Um, he was using, you know, some of the recordings as evidence. Um, and so uh, he said, he said that he started doing it to show me that I was gaslighting him. And so he was, his intention with starting to do it was to let me listen to myself so that I could see how I was gaslighting him. In reality, you know, he was the one doing the gaslighting. And I, I just think he's very smart. He's a very, very intelligent person. And so I think that he did, made a few recordings and then listened to them, realized that he was the one doing the gaslighting and not me. Um, and so he never, you know, approached me with them or had me listen to them because he could see that he was the one doing it and not me. So just explain to listeners who aren't familiar with the term gaslighting, what that actually means. Gaslighting is anything that causes you to question your reality. So lies are a form of gaslighting. Um, one example of gaslighting would be, 
the girls came back to me having had their hair trimmed at one point. And I sent an email to him and his mom and his dad and his stepmom. Um, and I just said, can you guys please just talk to me before you cut my kid's hair? Um, and his mom's response was, well, it didn't look to me like they even had haircuts. That would be gaslighting because that causes me to question, well, did they have haircuts? You know what I mean? Mm. So that's, that's gaslighting. Okay. I just wanted to clear that up because I know that probably there are some listeners that are thinking, well, what's gaslighting? You know, what, what is it? And, and can I relate to that or, or not in this, in my own situation, probably? Yeah. And so was any of the recordings actually played as evidence at the court to try? They were, and- they were because I ended up, um, I, I'm a pretty stable <laughs> person, but I did lose it at the end, at the very, very end of the relationship. I just, there were times where I just would start screaming and, um, and I slapped him across the face. And of course he, you know, there's some physical abuse on his side. And so he played those recordings and just the little snippets that were right for him, which isn't actually supposed to be allowed in a courtroom. If you're playing a recording, you're supposed to play the entire thing. But that was part of the cheating was that he got away with just doing the little snippets that made me sound bad and left out, you know, anything that makes him sound bad. But then I went through and I transcribed the recordings and, you know, yes, I'm crying and I'm screaming and I'm very upset and I sound horrible. But what's really being said is, why can't you just be nice to me? And then he comes back with, I've tried that and it doesn't work. And then, you know, I come back with, I'm sorry, I just don't want you to be mean to me anymore. So um, there's obvious, you know, psychological and emotional abuse there. But it just, when you just listen to it, like I sound like the one who's crazy. And he did that very intentionally. He knew exactly what he was doing. So... It's interesting that he was able to get away with editing it so that the, the the full context or the full picture of the scenario wasn't apparent. Yeah, it's the, the whole court case is pretty bad. If At some point, I'll have a legal analyst go over it and actually review everything that happened because it's it's so obvious. I mean, they it's bad. <laughs> I yeah. don't want more to say about it than that. Because, uh, I mean, the, the, you could question the whole system in that regards and... You know, there's there's obviously fault not just with him, but that actual whole scenario and who's responsible for, um, you know, allowing that situation to be played out the way it was. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you went to the first place, which was Hawaii, how did he manage to track you down there, do you think? Um, so I found out he sent me a package and tracked it. And I didn't know this when... Um, I didn't know what was going to happen, but uh, it, it's kind of funny that I had ordered something off of Etsy.com and um, and I had forgotten to update my address to the Hawaii address. And so she had sent it to my previous address on the mainland. And, um, and then she sent me an email and she said, you know, I'm really sorry that this package is late. I don't understand why it's taking so long. And then a few days later it arrived and she sent me another message saying, oh, I'm so happy. I see that it made it to Hawaii. And I thought, wait a second, how does she know that it made it to Hawaii? So I got on the post office website and I looked and when something is forwarded like that to um, with a tracked package, it does show the city of the final destination. And so that's what they did was they sent me a package through the post office that was addressed to my previous address, but then it was forwarded by the post office so that they could see 
you know, the city that it was forwarded to. So did he actually make face-to-face uh, -face contact with you, with you when you was in Hawaii? How, how did that show itself? No, he didn't. Um, that was at, at the heart or the peak of COVID um, when everything, you know, we were all still figuring out how to re-navigate life and everything was just on complete lockdown at that time. So when he first, when that first happened, like I wasn't concerned, I didn't run right away. It was actually still a few months that I stayed in Hawaii before I ran again. Um, just because I knew, you know, there's no realistic way that he was going to come there and do anything. And Hawaii was very, very big on the 14 day quarantine for anybody that came onto the island. And even with inner island travel, um, they were very, very strict about the 14 day quarantines. All right. Okay. So what was the thing that actually made you then want, want to move away from Hawaii to Jamaica? You know, obviously something triggered you to want to think, you know, I'm not going to be safe staying here anymore. Um, they started to lift some of the COVID restrictions. And as I was watching the whole situation unravel, um, I, I knew that as soon as COVID restrictions were lifted, I was going to be gone. Um, and so as soon as they, they lifted inner island quarantine rules, um, which I actually think was a mistake, but um, they went as soon as they lifted the inner island quarantine i was like okay that's close enough for me that's enough of a of a ease up on the restrictions that i'm i'm gonna go and what was it when you first i suppose made that decision and had i suppose a bit more of a light bulb moment that actually made you finally escape that situation and realize you know what you know, for my own safety, my own health, my own well-being, I need to go. Do you mean getting out of the relationship or leaving the city for safety? Well, both really, yeah. Um, so getting out of the relationship, I actually didn't. He left. Um, I was very, very caught up in the belief that, you know, you stay together for the kids and you can work it out and you get therapy and, you know, a therapist is going to solve all of your problems and everything's going to be fine. Um, I didn't realize how severely traumatized I was. I was diagnosed with complex PTSD as a result of all of the abuse over the years and trauma, but I, I didn't realize how severely traumatized I was. Um, and he, at the very end of the relationship, right before he left, he looked at me one day and he said, you need therapy, which was the best thing that he could have said because I thought, okay, I'm gonna go find a therapist. And so I did. And uh, she actually turned out to be an angel um, and I'm actually still working with her. And she was the first one to say, she, what she said to me was, um, have you ever heard of the narcissist empath dance? And I was like, nope, not familiar with that at all. And so then we started talking about that. And then I started reading books on narcissism and I started understanding what it was that I was actually dealing with. Um, and so then once I started to understand and see, you know, what had actually happened and what was unfolding, and the thing about them is that they're very predictable. Once you start to understand, they become extremely predictable. Um, and so I knew exactly what his next moves were gonna be and things like that. Um, and so, you know, he had been covertly entering the home. He had, he had lied blatantly in the courts. You know, he made up this story. There was a chandelier that had obviously been messed with once when I took the kids camping over the summer. So he had been in the home while we were camping. And, uh, and I brought pictures of that into the courtroom as evidence. 
And he said that um, he and the kids would use that glass chandelier as a target for Nerf guns. And uh, the judge bought it, for, which is mind blowing. Um, so, so he, you know, when I saw that he was willing to make up these creative stories and he was not stopping, there were protective orders against him and he was continuing to stalk even with protective orders. Um, then I learned about something called the mosaic threat assessment, which is, you know, if you just Google mosaic threat assessment, you can find it. And it's a, it's a threat assessment that they use um, to basically assess how, how much danger are you really in? And uh, when I went through and did it, he scored a nine out of 10. And when I saw that, I was like, I have got to get out of here because my kids are better off with a mom who's far away than they are with a mom who's dead. And um, so, you know, I still fully believe that if I hadn't left when I did, I would not be around to be telling this story right now. So that was really the final straw. I had seen a friend of mine um, less than a week before I left and she looked at me and, you know, everybody could see that I was just not, I was not okay. And she looked at me and she said, if you need help, I have connections. Just all you have to do is call and just a phone call away. And I said, okay, you know, thank you, whatever. And I processed that for a couple of days. And then I did that mosaic threat assessment. And as soon as I saw that, I called her and I said, I need help and I need help now. And so she got me a plane ticket. She put me on the plane and she said, you know, as soon as you get there, just call the women's shelter. And so that was kind of how I got out. Wow, excellent. So again, for the benefit of listeners that aren't necessarily aware of what the term narcissism actually means how would you describe or explain that to somebody so the biggest factor with narcissism is that it's somebody who lacks empathy and empathy is you know what creates human connection without empathy there really is no human connection and so with a narcissist what you have is somebody who wears a mask and somebody who masquerades around is like this perfect wonderful human being and this narcissist is really 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 good at um, fooling people and making him think, making everybody think that he's just this wonderful person and he's a victim. And, um, but if you see behind the mask, there's nothing there. There's, there's no depth to who they are. There's no substance to who they are. They sort of take on the beliefs of whoever they're around at the time. And, um, and so you, they're good at fooling you. Um, they do the love bombing in the beginning of the relationship, and then they start to withdraw um, their love. In, in my case, his love bombing was all about uh, verbal affirmations and verbal um, reinforcements and things. And so he would tell me, you're so amazing, you're so intelligent, you're so wonderful. And, you know, he was always telling me all of these things, building me up. Um, and then when he flipped it was you're worthless you're nothing you're you know you're pathetic you know those kinds of things and so that's what they do is they they love bomb you and then you become actually addicted to them it's actually an addiction um and then uh and then of course they discard you at the end so basically just throw you away right and is this common i mean i know this is common from you know the unhealthy masculine man perspective but to be narcissistic but is this common in reverse as well about the narcissistic women i think there's some narcissistic women for sure um it's more common for women who develop a personality disorder to be borderline or um uh there's another one that starts with an h i can't think of the name of it right now but um those are more common for women and narcissism is more common for men but 
you know, it can go both ways. Men can be borderline, women can be narcissists. It just, it just depends on how, I guess, your trauma and how you process things. And do you fear for your daughters? I mean, is he a good, he might not have been a good partner or boyfriend, but was he a good father to your children? He's a good father right now. Yes, he's a good father because they're dolls to him. They get him a lot of attention. They feed his ego. Um, you know, they, so as long as he, you know, they're essentially toys to him. And so as long as that's the case, he's a great father. He plays with them. He reads them stories. He kisses them goodnight. You know, he does all of the good father things. Um, the, the challenge is going to be that these are all girls and uh, he's not very into like feminism and, you know, strong women and things like that. And so when they start to grow up and they start to have opinions of their own, um, that's when things are going to get rough. So I'm hoping, you know, more than hoping, I'm focused on getting things taken care of and turning the situation around before they get much older. Excellent. So what is your focus immediately then to ensure that that happens sooner rather than later? Right this minute, my focus is on healing myself. It's on, um, you know, staying safe for one thing. So I'm still in hiding. Um, and then healing myself, because I really believe that the more that a parent heals themselves, the easier it is for the child, even though I'm not physically present with them, there's a bond that's, you know, there's an unbreakable bond between a mother and her children. And so the more that I heal, the more it's going to lift them up and benefit them. And then as soon as we're reunited, you know, it makes me a better mom, even than I was before, um, the more that I focus on just healing myself. So that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, what the next move is going to be, we'll figure that out as we go along. Oh, that's that's brilliant. You know, I, I think you're doing exact, exactly the right thing because without healing your wounds, you know, you can't, like you say, be as good a parent as what you need to be to those girls once the time comes and, you, and you're united and, and reconciled. So I 100% believe you're actually doing exactly the right thing in, in terms of focusing on yourself right now. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I think it was the last episode that you did, or at least the last one that was um, published. You talked about the toxic feminine too, and how, you know, there's that toxic masculinity that we talk about, but then there's the other side there's, and that's kind of the harsh reality that I've had to face is why did I do this? Why did I make this choice? You know, how did I get myself into this situation? And that's really what I'm focused on as far as my healing process is like, I didn't have enough self-love. I wasn't nurtured enough by my mother as a child. I didn't get the, my needs met. And so I turned to men and I thought that, you know, they were going to be my knights in shining armor and they were going to be my heroes and save me from all of my woes kind of a thing. So I think that, um, you know, for me, it's been a lot about getting into feminism and, you know, the healthy feminism, not the angry feminism. Um, uh, getting into feminism and reading poetry and becoming a poet myself, really writing my own poetry. So it's, it, there's that, um, I guess the point was, there's that toxic fem feminine side too. And that's where I was. And that's what I'm seeking to get out of now. Excellent. What I'd also like to uh, pick up on what you just said is, is how healing the poetry that you've been for you because I think a lot of the clients that I've worked with find that some sort of activity you know be it arts or crafts or 
certainly journaling or, or writing stuff like poetry has been very therapeutic in their healing journey. Absolutely. You know, I think it's about creativity. I think it's about unlocking that creative side of your brain. Because, you know, in modern day society, we're, we're so focused on the math and the science, and that's fantastic. And we need that. But we're losing touch with the creativity of being a mm -hmm. human being. And when you look at nature, like it's pure creativity. Yeah, it's science. Yes, there's biology and botany and all of that. But it's pure beauty and creativity. Without the creativity, it wouldn't be beautiful. Yeah, and I've certainly noticed that with, um, and certainly obviously looking into that and, and guiding women down that path that, that I work with around, you know, what is it that you'd like to get involved in that you either used to do or would like to do in terms of creative stuff, you know, whether it's knitting, sewing, writing, painting, drawing, you know, like you said, it's, it's any sort of creativity, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, for me, the poetry, what it does for me is, you know, there's, there was a moment where I lied to cover up bruises and that was like one of my all time low moments. And I turned that into a poem and it feels like now that's not in me anymore. It's on the paper. It's taken care of. Does that make sense? Yeah. You've unloaded it. And I actually give women sometimes that as an exercise to do. You write down your feelings, you know, get, get everything out on the paper and then you know, as a sort of act of letting it all go, either burn it or destroy it and know that, that it's that's no longer going to affect you because you've got rid of it. And yeah. you know, you'll feel liberated on the back of unloading yourself <laughs> through that medium. Yeah, absolutely. It's so healing. I certainly um, find it also good a good exercise to get women to to write a letter to to their partner as well you know not meaning to send it it's one of those letters that you don't mean to send but it is again you know is um getting all their feelings out around that particular person as well yeah i i did that for a while i have um, a folder on my computer full of letters to him um and that was really helpful for me that was while i was figuring out what narcissism was so i was still kind of almost in that pleading for the relationship to write itself phase until you know that was so that was before I figured out what I was actually dealing with and that there's there's no way that this relationship is going to write itself um but it was it was healing and I still have them they're still there and do you think you'll keep them there or do you think you'll delete them or do you think you'll ever print those what, what what's your reason for still having them there um I don't think that I'm done processing it yet so I think they're still there waiting to be fully processed. And what I do with them when I finish processing, I don't know. I may print them up and burn them. I think that burning is very, very, that's really therapeutic. So I may, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly sends a message out to the universe and, and for our lives of the future to, to say that I'm done with this, doesn't it? You know, sort of having some sort of what I call letting go ceremony like that. Yeah, absolutely. So if you know that you're speaking to um, some people or some women in particular in the audience that uh, are maybe sort of recognizing themselves in your story, what would be your advice to them right now, September? I would say get some good books. The book Women Who Run With The Wolves is such a powerful healing book. Um, the woman who wrote it, Dr. Clarissa Pinkolestes, 
She has a bunch of other books on Audible as well. If you're hearing yourself in my story, you're probably an unmothered you know, child. You probably didn't get enough nurturing. That's not to say that your mother was horrible or anything, but you just didn't fully get your needs met. Warming the Stone Child is a powerful, powerful book that talks about you know people like me who just simply didn't get what we needed as a child and how you can go back now and, and take care of that and, and fill that piece of you and warm your own self up. Um, and so it's it really, at the end of the day, it all goes back to self-love. We talk about this so much, but it's so true. It all goes back to self-love. What was the first step that you took, do you think? And you can remember a particular exercise you did towards recognizing you didn't have that for yourself, firstly, and, and secondly, to actually addressing that. I think getting a therapist and, you know, I was lucky enough to find a really, really good therapist and there are amazing therapists out there. There's bad therapists out there, of course, there's in any profession, but um, I was lucky enough to find an amazing person to work with. And she really has just been a rock for me. Um, and I'll continue working with her for probably a very, very long time. But just having that support and having somebody who understands from a different perspective and from a more educated perspective um, has been incredibly helpful for me. So she has guided me along with with all of the, you know, some of the books that I read and some of the practices that I've started up and things like that. Yeah, I think that's very valuable advice. You know, any sort of therapist or coach, mentor, you know, certainly I think a lot of women are drawn to me because they 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 hear their own story and my story and know that I can absolutely empathize with where they're at. Yeah, absolutely. I do a lot of, you know, other coaching modalities as well. I do a lot of healing things. So it's not it's definitely not just the therapist, but um, I think that they all complement each other. And when your focus is on healing yourself and on getting better and on being the best that you can be then you can combine all of these different things and, and it, it just all comes full circle and it all sort of wraps you in this circle of warmth. And at the end of the day, that's really what you need. Excellent. So on that note, then September, what, what is the best contact information you can share with our audience? Should anybody want to reach out to you or be inspired to reach out to you? Yeah, I guess one of the advantages of um, being me is that I have a very unique name. You know, my first name is September. So I'm September Burton and across any social media platform or any, you know, my website is septemberburton.com. So you can just, that's how you find me, September Burton. September Burton with a a B-U as in Richard Burton, the famous actor. Yes. And my father is Richard Burton, but not that Richard Burton. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I love that love story between Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton because Elizabeth Taylor's got the same birthday as me, albeit, you know, many years older. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. (laughs) That's one of my claims to fame, having the same birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. well, thank you so much for sharing your excellent story, very inspirational story and such beautiful words of wisdom and guidance and advice there September well thank you for having me on it's it's an honor and it's a it's still part of my healing journey to share my story so it's definitely a privilege thank you so finally with wrapping up then listeners I always like to end with true love starts with opening our hearts and until next time goodbye for now Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn 
or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.